Welcome to the fourth episode of the Michael Bourne Identity. Uh, I am James, and I've been trying to, I mean, my life's about to get super busy here in, in exactly one week uh, as I'm recording this, um, but uh, I, I've got some time this week to, to record a whole bunch of episodes, so, you know, I'll, I'll be recording uh, a few this week, and, and I'll slowly release them just to sort of, you know, give some breathing room to it. Super excited uh, to follow up the the wonderful Astros fans UK, uh, George, with another legend of Astros Twitter, um, a true celebrity. Again, if you're if you're not following at Ephus Tosser, that's E E P H U S T O S S E R, uh, aka Anthony, uh, you're you're not doing it correctly. You you are actively being wrong on the internet and no one needs more help being more wrong on the internet. So uh, it is with great pleasure that I introduce to you and, and have a chance to sit down for a few minutes with Anthony Ephus Tosser. Anthony, how you doing? I'm great. What an intro. I, I, I mean, I feel, I feel humbled. I feel honored. Uh, I, I'm, I'm blown away. Legendary. I think you called me. Legend. Yes. Absolute, absolute 100% legend. I accept. Yeah, and, and it's not your place to turn down. So uh, it has it has been bestowed. Uh, how you been? I've been well. Um, it's a weird year. I don't know if you've heard. Um, it's it's, <laughs> a bit of, it's been a bit of a strange ride, um, but things are you know I think as well as can be expected. Um, my my industry is sort of back on its feet, so I'm working a, a lot with. Thanksgiving coming up, I'm actually just about to take a big backpacking trip, and that's my last backpacking trip of the year, so that's why, as you're looking at me, they can't see me, but I've got, like, no. the scruff, the, the beard grown out, and, like, the, yeah, it's just, I'm it's just outdoorsy. for hiking. Yeah, it's for I'm sure a very outdoorsy. outdoorsy guy. Yeah. Um, so, you have, uh, we've been Twitter friends for, for a, a decently long time. Uh, I want to say, like, over a decade. It, I think it, I think it is. Uh, Cause I think I joined Twitter in 09. I think that's and, me too. And, uh, and it's, it's gone steadily downhill <clears throat> ever since, but, um, <laughs> but you, ha- you have this, and I know, and, and, and tell, you can just straight up decline to answer any of these questions or say, no, we're going right. to move on from this topic. It seems like you have a very interesting job. I think that's fair to say. Um, I don't what, necessarily what have do you want to get into. No, we can talk about it. Um, so uh, I'll say that I don't have the job now that I had when I first got onto Twitter. Um, but so I work in the entertainment industry. I live in Los Angeles, um, which is, you know, I'm not the only Astros fan here, but there are very few of us, of course. <laughs> but uh, I work as an agent. I'm a talent agent. So um, basically, like when people talk about agents for for sports players, it's a very similar concept, but for uh, on-camera television, theater, and film personalities. So I, I represent actors uh, who are looking for, who are, I help them find work. I negotiate their contracts. I do all of that. So there's, there's a lot to it, but that's the gist of it. Yeah. Okay. So when, so I, I got a degree in history, uh, which, you know, I, I, I've, I've done two of the three things that you can really do with a, with a history degree. Uh, I've worked in museums and, and I teach history and that's, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. What's the, the third, third thing? The third thing, 
Uh, I got talked into going to take the LSAT, um, except I was hungover uh, when I did it. Apparently did well enough to, to have, I I could have gotten into Texas Tech's law school, um, which I don't know that, you know, that's anything to brag about. Uh, However, I didn't get into Texas Tech's law school, so better (laughs) better than me. My my plan was uh, to to be Jerry Maguire. Uh, how okay? So so you don't have to go into you can go, again go into the specifics you want to go into. Sure. How did you go from uh, from high school to college yeah. to to where you are now? So it was this, it was not a linear path as I'm sure you can imagine. So growing up, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and in, in a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, southwestern Ohio. I grew up in Cincinnati Reds country. Um, and I was a musician and I was a damn good musician. And what instrument? that was, uh, well, so all of them is kind oh, of the short okay. answer. So, um, when I first started out, so we always had a piano in the house. I taught myself how to play piano. Um, when I, for my first instrument that I was like officially trained on was I think first the alto sax and then, and then the trumpet. And then I picked up euphonium. I picked up cello. I picked up harp. I picked up tuba I picked up trombone I picked up everything um so basically like when I was in I didn't realize at the time what a gift it was but one of the things about me was I wanted to if I wanted to learn how to play an instrument I could teach myself within a couple of hours that's crazy uh, yeah and I had no idea I didn't I didn't think that was abnormal um (laughs) but in high school I had teachers who sort of took notice of that and were like you should probably do something with this. And so I went to school initially to be initially for music education, actually. Um, But after my first practicum, I went, I was helping a teacher at a a high school jazz band. And I remember like the the trumpets, a trumpet solo came up and there was no trumpet player because he was off playing cards in the court. And it was just like, I just thought like, (laughs) I just came to realize like I couldn't, live my life working with people who didn't love it as much as I did. So um, I switched that like that next week to music theory and composition. So that's what I got my degree in was music theory and composition. Okay. And which is not a smart thing to get a degree. in. in fact, I used to make fun of the people who were studying that because there's literally nothing you can do with that degree. Like at all, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like you learn this stuff, but you can learn that stuff anywhere. Like you can just right. listen to music and learn that. But, um, but for me, it made sense. I just wanted to get the degree. I was, I was paying for my own school. I was on a bet. I was on a multitude of scholarships. I had some, some partial athletic scholarship. Uh, I had some academic scholarships. I had some music scholarships and it all sort of like tied into where they were kind of paying me to go to school, but not a lot. And I was, you know, I did not come from money. Um, and so what I wanted to do was to be an orchestrator. Um, so I wanted to take the music and I wanted to like break down like how it was played. So that was when I was like, okay, well, I don't want to make like a clarinet player play something weird and cross this weird break if I don't know it exists. So that's when I figured out that I could teach myself instruments really, really quick. So I'm just like, okay, I have to learn how to play flute so that I can write for a flute player. And so that's what I did. Um, the one instrument I can never get under my fingers was guitar, but everything else I, I figured out really well. And the interesting thing about me was because I was paying for my own school, I passed up, I got accepted. I got into Yale. I got into um, Carnegie Mellon. I got, got into a lot of big programs, but I ended up going to Kent state because I could afford it. 
yeah. um, because like I said, they were paying means. So um, I've been to Kent State and that's a, that's actually a pretty campus. I was not expecting it to be a, yeah, a pretty campus. It, it is a pretty campus and it's a big campus, which yeah. I think surprised me too. And I, I think, um, but being there was great. But what's interesting about Kent State is even though it's a state school, they've got the same faculty as the Cleveland Institute of Music, which is a great conservatory right up the road. And they're at a state school, so no one cares. And so, like, if you're the one student who's, like, actively, like, oh, I really want to do this, and I'm really excited, and I'm, like, I bring, I have a lot of talent, like, they will take you under their wings so fast. And so I had a few professors who really, really took to me, and I had one in particular who asked me to conduct, he was, he had an orchestra, so he was the associate conductor for the Cleveland Orchestra, but then he had his own orchestra also, and he asked me to conduct his orchestra one summer because he got another job. And so that summer I conducted his orchestra in Springfield, Ohio. And um, I got a lot of notice for being, I was like 20, 21 at the time, maybe I think I was 20. And uh, so I got a lot of notice, you know, he was well-connected. So a lot of people would come to see it. And basically that led to, I got a job coming out of college. Basically I finished college on the road because I got a job as the associate music director for Barry Manilow's Copacabana tour. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. So that was my first job. I was going to say out of college, but I, I got it really while I was still in college. And so then that sort of became my life is I was in that theater realm and like, so everyone kind of noticed me and, and, and just kept hiring me there. And so I just kept like, I became a music director. So I moved to New York um, I music directed in London. I music directed in Sydney, Australia for a whole year. Um, I was really sort of in that, in that world, just doing theater, like, like music directing, conducting, accompanying, not orchestrating, not the thing I wanted to be doing. <laughs> um, and I hit an interesting, an interesting thing happened to me in New York where I, I was doing really, really well. I, I moved so far so fast that I hit I was probably coming up, I was like 28 years old and I hit like the first period where I, where it didn't come easily anymore. Like I had sort of hit the plateau and then now I was going to have to like work really hard to get over that. And I had never done that before. I didn't know how to fail. Um, and so, and I think that's like very much like a straight white guy thing. Like no one, like, you know what I mean? Like everyone just kind of hands things to you and it's great. Yeah, I'm really bad at doing stuff I'm not good at and I don't want to do it because I'm not good at it, which means yeah. I don't grow as a person. So I'm, exactly. I'm working on getting over that. Yeah. And that was, and it was really, it was really hard for me and I didn't know how to do it. And, and when I sort of learned that I was going to have to like do, do, double down and do that work, that's when I sort of came to the realization that I actually didn't like it. Um, I didn't like doing it. I, I just happened to be really good at it. And when it was coming easily and people were paying me to do it, that was great. But even then, like I would jump off and do a gig with like the Ohio players or I toured with blues traveler for a few months, or I played with earth, wind and fire. And like, those were like, that's when I was really happy. Like I didn't, I never took to theater. I never really loved theater, but that's where people were paying me. Right. So anyway, so I had a really good friend who pulled me aside and was like, Hey, listen, man, like, you've really got to learn to like be okay with this and put in this time and build your network and build your resources and build your connections and build your skills and build your resume. And you've got to be ready to do this for like 10, 15, 20 years. And you're still going to have to get lucky. And like, if you're not okay with that, you have to get out because 
you're miserable and everyone hates being around you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I give myself credit for very few things in this world, but I, I give myself credit for, for hearing him when he said that. Cause he was yeah. right. Like I, I was, I was not having a good time. I was living in New York city. I was really unhappy. I just didn't really have like a support network. So I moved first to San Diego and this was 2005. Um, I moved to San Diego in 2005 because the Astros were actually in the world series when I moved. So um, I moved there first and I was there for two years, kind of doing nothing. Like I didn't really know. I never had to like get a job. Like I didn't know how to do that stuff. I had a good friend there who kind of, that's how I landed in San Diego. I had a good friend who let me come sleep on his couch but like two or three months in, he and his fiance had a big fight and broke up. So I was suddenly very homeless because um, yeah. he moved back in with his parents. It was a whole event. So that was kind of my tenure in San Diego. It's like I would get just a little comfortable, just get a little purchase. And then suddenly the rug would get pulled out from under me. And this would happen like like every three or four months pretty consistently for two years. And finally, I was just like, I, I don't. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what, you know, I was thinking about moving back home to Ohio. I just didn't really know what to do. And that's when like enough of my friends from New York had moved out to LA and they were all kind of working in the, in the entertainment industry. And some of them would just like throw me a job, like come up and work on set, work on, you know, I need, I need a hand in the art department or I, I need a PA or whatever. So I was coming up to LA enough. I was like, well, maybe I should just move there. And right at that, right around that time, this is 2009, my father passed in September of 2009. And we were not close. We didn't, we hadn't spoken for 12 years until we were on, until he was on his deathbed. We had a conversation. And I think it just sort of took this, that for me to realize, like, I got to stop fucking around. Like, I got to figure out like, what, what is life? Like, I've got to, like, I can't do this. I've got to figure I've, I've got to move forward. I'm an adult now. Um, and so I moved to LA determined to just sort of figure it out. And the first job I found was actually in the agency world. And I found that it had a lot of the things that I really liked from music, but I also got to like advocate for artists and like fight for them and do a lot of things. And then also have a steady paycheck, which was nice. So, <laughs> so, so I kind of have just stayed in this world. And that's been since, like I said, about 2009, 2010. And I um, became a full-time agent in 2000. 13. And as of this past January, uh, the company I'm at actually made me partner. So, Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So here okay. I so, so I guess the next logical question is you're from Ohio. You've lived in California for a long time. How did the Astros come along? Like what, how did, how did, how did that happen? Yeah. So this is actually one of my favorite stories. So, um, I, as I said, I grew up in day, for me, I don't know why. I've always had a weird relationship with geography. I've never been the kind of guy who's just like, I root for the team that plays their games closest to my house. Um, That's fair. And almost, yeah, and almost all of my relationships with my teams are based either positively or negatively on my father. Like my father was a big Ohio State fan, so I became a big Michigan fan to like, spite <laughs> him. Um, although he now would have had the last laugh. But um, with the Reds. So that's who I grew up watching. Like my favorite player growing up was Chris Sabo. Like I saw Pete Rose hit number 4,192. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Like we would go to Riverfront. Like that was what we did. We would watch, you know, Marty Brenneman and Joe Nux all on TV every night on WDTN every night. Um, 
but for some reason in like little little Ephes Tosser's brain, it was very important that I was not from Cincinnati. I don't know why this was such a, a thing for me. I was not from Cincinnati. I was from Dayton and there was no team. In, there wasn't even a minor league team in Dayton at that time. There is now. Yeah. Um, but there's no, there's no, there, there was no team. So I was like, you know, are they really, are they, do they really represent me? <laughs> and um, there were a lot of players on the Astros I liked at the time, Mike Scott and Nolan Ryan and Kevin Bass and um, you know, uh, Dickie Thon. Like there were a lot of guys I really liked, but I wasn't by any stretch of the, the imagination an Astros fan um, until I was 10 years old, 1987, November of 1987, my father took me to Houston with him on a, on a business trip. Okay. And I think this is the only time I think we ever spent time just like him and me, just like out of the house, just like hanging out. And one of the things we did is we went on a tour of the Astrodome and it was like, you know, there's no game. It was November. It was like torn up for like a monster truck rally or something, but we did the <laughs> tour. And when we were down below, Kevin Bass was down there taking batting practice. And I just sort of like watched him like a little 10 year old me just like jaw dropped, like in awe. And he looks at me and he's like, Hey, do you want to take a couple of swings? No way. Yeah. So I go into the cage and I like try to lift his bat. I'm sure I, I barely got the thing over my shoulder and I swung <laughs> a couple of times. I don't think I made any contact, but I've been a lifelong Astros fan ever since like that, that just sort of like put me, I mean, how do you come back from Kevin Bass letting you take some swings in the cage? No kidding. That no, that's that's incredible. Yeah. Um, I, I, but I've I don't... never been to an Astros home game my entire life. I've never been to an Astros home game. I've never been really? to a park. Yeah. I have not actually seen the Astros win in person since 2015. Oh wow. So and you think about you know the the number of wins that they racked up in 2017, 18, and 19. Yeah. Uh, to go over, you know, that's a, that's a pretty high statistical improbability. So that's a, that's like that's my students, uh, yeah, uh, over the last few years when the Astros are in the playoffs, you know, they're going to be like, oh, are you going to, are you going to go to the game? I'm like, no. And they're <laughs> like, I thought you were a fan. I'm like, I am. That's why I'm not going. Like I yeah. want them to win. Do you win. still and go to some in the regular season just to hope to get off the schneid? I obviously it didn't, well, obviously it didn't happen this year. Uh, but in 2019, it just, it just didn't work out to where we were, we were down there visiting family on a homestand. Uh, and I probably could have tried a little bit harder, uh, to make it happen. But I, I, I'm just at this point, I'm like, I, I, I can't, I can't afford to go. Like the, the team needs me to <laughs> not be, and not be in the stands. So yeah, so, if they get a good like twelve game lead or something, that's when you're like, all right. Or maybe yeah. you go to like, I hate to do it to you, but maybe you go to Arlington and go to like a road game or something. See, no, I've been I've been to Arlington because I live closer to Arlington than I do right. than I do Houston. But and I've been to I've been to Arlington a number of times since 2015 and uh, four Astros Rangers games, thinking like, well, there's no way they're not going to win this game, and and they don't. Like it's yeah. and then that's a. You know, it's it's not a long drive to Arlington. Uh, it's a long drive back, though. It's still um, it's a <laughs> you know, and you know, it's it's all before this year. It's all freaking hot in Arlington because they yeah. you know, the oh, right, yeah. didn't have a roof uh, in Texas in the summer, and so you're like sweaty and dehydrated, and then still have to drive, you know, the hour and a half to to get home. So I'm no, I'm just not. It's not going to go like that's just my my plan. I'm just never. Like that's then, it for the rest of your life now. No more Astros games. I just I love them too much. I can't go. Like that's just 
that's just how it goes. Well, so thank you, you for your sacrifice. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to do it. It's not it's not one I take lightly, but uh, maybe maybe I'll go hit up some new Sugarland Skeeters games. Uh, there you go. And and see if see just how far does my curse reach within the organization. <laughs> uh, so how did you? How did you end up with the because you were with the crawfish boxes for for a, for a long time, yeah. and and I think because I, I started Astros County in November of two thousand eight, and and I read the crawfish boxes. I lived in upstate New York at the time, mm-hmm. and and I was I remember thinking like this is cool. This is something I want to do. I think I have a little bit different of a viewpoint. Uh, and, but I started off thinking like with like, it was like hate week. I was like, Oh yeah, the crawfish, they're a bunch of like bad dudes. And then like mm. David Coleman emailed me. He was like, Hey, we see you. It's cool. We like it. And I'm like, Oh man, that's not, that doesn't fit into the villain that's narrative. David, like, though. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good, he's a good dude. Um, so when did you, how did you end up writing for them? And, and what was the time frame? What was your focus? What did you like writing about, uh, for, for crawfish boxes? Yeah, that's a great question. So I started off actually with my own blog. Um, okay. I think it was called a misplaced Astros fan. It was on MLB.com used to have like a little blogging area. Um, okay. And you could kind of, I don't, I don't remember what it was called, but it was just like, I just had like my own and it was 2009 when I started. And I'm sure you remember if you started in 08, there was nothing to write about. Like, no, like the team was just dead in the water. Like there was nothing exciting going on. And I would just, but I really, at that point, like I said, I had moved to Los Angeles um, that year and I just didn't really, I didn't really know anyone. I didn't really have much going on. I've always been a big baseball fan. I was just like, I don't really have, I mean, no, there are no Astros fans, even in San Diego, there were no Astros fans, but like, it was just this idea of like, I, I just didn't have a community. So I started writing about the team just to kind of have an outlet because I had wanted to be a writer. And, and I just thought, like, well, I'll just put this into the world and see what happens. Um, never expecting anything to come of it. And then I, I actually reached out, I think a year later, I think I only ran that blog maybe even less than a year. And then the following coming into the following season, I, I actually reached out to David, uh, David Coleman. And I was like, Hey, listen, you don't know me, but um, I run this little blog. It's stupid, but <laughs> I, I've read you guys and I didn't like, I've never been like big on reading blogs. Like, I, I don't know why, but I, it's just, so it's not like I, w- I wasn't like in the community that would go there like every day or whatever, but I really liked the stuff that I saw. And so I reached out to him and he was like, actually, I know exactly who you are and you're terrific and you should come on board. And um, ah, classic David. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the guy did his homework and you really knew what, you know, he was just a smart guy and a sweet guy and just really cared yeah, And um, I think that that collection, when I was there, that collection of crawfish box riders, I don't know what it's like today. Like I said, I don't really read, but we had something really special at that. Time. It was it good. Was, yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, that was like when the as sort of going into the rebuild, um, but like we had Chris Perry and we had Ryan Dunsmore and we had, um, you know, we had we just had a lot. We had, um, Brooks and, and Spencer, Spencer, I is, we'll talk about later. That's who I still do a blog with Spencer. Um, but like we, and this was as the rebuild sort of started. So we had this like fun idea of like sort of looking at the new guys. And that was because I've seen so much minor league baseball and I've been involved in so much, uh, amateur and minor league baseball that like I was, it was nice to be able to focus on that, but then also have the Astro centric concept, so I don't know. It was just, it was a, it was a really sort of nice time. Um, and it was a really good 
group of writers that really challenged each other and we were really like supportive of each other. And, you know, if I was writing something or if I was doing a big project like uh, the very Luno ratings that I had for a while, um, anyone who could help out would just roll up their sleeves and go get, I mean, at that time, especially it was so hard to get like uh, NCAA statistics. Like they're much easier yeah. now, but at the time it was just so hard to like scrape the internet for that stuff. So just like, I just asked like four guys, Hey, can you help? And they would all just like jump on or, or, you know, it was really great. And it was a really nice time to write. And I, I really liked that group. And I think when that group sort of blew up when David moved on and then even when Ryan took over, Ryan Dunsmore took over, um, I was starting to check out just cause I was getting much busier in my like real life. Right. Um, and then uh, uh, sort of the things, his tenure didn't end super, super happily. So I just really checked out and was just not interested in what was going on. And now I'm, I'm connected with, with some of the writers there now. And so I, I, I like a lot of the crew there now, but it just, it felt, just didn't feel like home anymore. And so like, I just kind of passed on, passed away or passed there. I didn't, I'm still alive. At um, but I just sort of like moved on and, and I just didn't, like I said, I didn't really have, once I started, like once I took over and became like a full-time like agent instead of an assistant, like I just, my, my time decreased significantly. And, and a big part of what I've always liked to do is to like follow the minors and that just takes an incredible amount of time so, you know if you really want to do it right so that was sort of the uh the impetus for that but am i wrong in thinking since we sort of started our our separate ventures around the same time uh in hindsight i'm really happy that the astros were bad yeah. uh in you know from 2009 basically to 2014 because that it, it sort of gave there was it was like a zero pressure thing. You could yeah. figure out what worked and what didn't, and you weren't going to attract a ton of attention. Um, like it, it's almost like a, a blessing to have been able to kind of like learn on the ropes without, you know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be, you know, a prominent Yankees blogger or yeah. a Red Sox blogger. It's actually probably not too dissimilar <clears throat> from being an Astros blogger since 2017. Right. But yeah, but I, I just, I, it just feels like it was, that was sort of a, that was a grace period slash learning curve that was definitely necessary. I think it was really nice. I think it was really nice that sort of the idea of sports blogs was sort of a nascent idea anyway, even outside yeah. of just the fact that like the, the Astros were, and you know, I tell anyone who will listen, like I would take any of the hundred lost seasons over 2009 or 2010, any day of the week. Like those yeah. were just like listless, it, you know, like purgatory. Just, yeah, it just like going nowhere. You could see that, like, you know, nothing was happening. Nothing was going to happen. There was just no life in it. But um, yeah, I think so too. I think I think that there was a lot. There was really no pressure to like. I mean, your readership was was minimal at yeah. best. Not only that, but I feel like the people who followed the team during that time, especially the people who followed the team online during that time, who were obsessed enough to like tweet about it and to to write about it was just like a really great group. Yes. Like, I really feel like it was just like the people that I still follow from back in those days. Like, I just think they're all really funny and really engaging. And like, they have a real good, like tongue in cheek. Um, like they don't take it too seriously. I, I, I think, you know, and I think that that was sort of born out of that, out of sort of writing into the void of the internet and no one really giving a shit and like just seeing where it goes. I don't know. I, 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 it was just such a magical time to be part of the Astros community. 
No, I, I totally agree. And there, there are people that, that I am, I am friends with and will be friends with you know, basically forever uh, because, you know, we all stayed up late one night, you know, watching, you know, before obviously the switch to the AL, you know, you, you know, watching a giants game um, and just wanting to vent about it. And I remember there was, there was one time that there was, it was, it was like 2012 it was when Zachary Levine uh, was still the beat writer for the Chronicle. And I, I just like had a mental breakdown on Twitter, watching the Astros blow yet another game. And I remember him tweeting out, like, if you want to see what mental illness looks like, uh, check out Astros County. And, and, and I thought that was really funny, but like, it was just all of us being miserable to, or watching miserable things together, yeah. uh, and, and being able to take some pleasure out of it and find some joy and, and it's, I mean, it's been great. Like it's been, uh, it's still, you know, a, a, even though my, my time now, uh, I used to have a job where I could basically just have blogger open and, and yeah. tweet deck and whatever came in, I could spend, you know, 10 or 15 minutes working up a post. Now I don't, I haven't posted in like 10 days and I don't, and, and cause there's nothing to talk about, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, the, the days of being excited, you know, when, when the Astros trade for some minor league dude from Kansas city, there's some, I was trying to think of like, uh, there was one early on. I, I can't even remember who the pitcher was. Uh, the Astros got some double a pitcher from Kansas city. And I can't even remember what Kyle Smith. It wasn't Kyle Smith, Ah, <laughs> but I, I emailed Bob Dutton from like the Kansas city star. I was like, what can you tell me about this guy? He's like, nothing. I don't know anything about it. It's, it's not, uh, uh, it's not a thing. Don't worry about it. And I was like, no, I'm going to make it a thing. And <clears throat> no, it was, it was, but it was, it was just a, a really fun time to kind of learn, find a voice and, and sort of stick with it. So yeah. um, you, okay, let me, let me, let me ask this question. Then I'll ask the next, the next question. Being in Southern California for as long as you have, what was the experience like being an Astros fan in LA in 2017 and then what has it been like over the last say <clears throat> i don't know for no reason yeah. uh 54 weeks uh <laughs> what's uh what 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 was it like being able to did you go did you get to go to any of the world series games i didn't i so i i had to travel quite a bit for my job i had a client actually opening on broadway um okay. at that time so i watched games one and two in la I watched games three and four in New York. I watched game five actually in the Houston airport. No way. Sounds cool until you remember that no one there is an Astros fan. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, they're just passing through. Um, and then, yeah, games six and seven I watched here in LA. Okay. Um, so I moved, I was moving around quite a bit and I was like just trying to keep up a, a lot of it. But I watched every, I mean, I watched every pitch, but, um, even just like trying to find like, okay, where, cause that's the other thing is there are groups of fans out here, uh, but they are, they are Houston sports fans. And I am not a Houston sports fan. I don't okay. give a shit about the Texans. I don't give a shit about the Rockets. And so like, I'm just not really connected to these groups. Like, because I'm not going to like, they're on Facebook and, and whatever. It's a whole yeah. event. But uh, so even just to find where they were. So we, we watched, at a bar called El Tejano in North Hollywood, um, the first two games. And it was really, really great because at that point, 
2017, the Dodgers were not yet, they like their fans were not, had not yet reached sort of the entitled phase. And so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was fun. It was still fun for them. Like it was still there. Like, Oh, we're in the world series. Um, it's not like the 2020 Dodgers fans. And I mean that even before the world series went, and that's not to take away from any individual Dodgers fans, but you know, they've had sustained success and it changes a fan base. It brings on, uh, uh, people who maybe would not otherwise be vocal and they become right. very vocal. I mean, we have it too, uh, on the Astros. So I think, uh, at that time it was fun. Cause it's like half the bar was their fans. Half the bar was our fans. And it was just like good natured. And then watching the games three and four in New York, I found a bar in the East Village uh, on Houston Street, actually. And that was maybe the best experience watching baseball I've ever had in my life. Like, okay, that was magical. Um, I was, um, I mean, it just, well, I actually take it back. It was actually games four and five. Because I remember specifically game five, um, just the energy in that room. Cause it was all Astros fans. It is an Astros bar in, in the East village. And like, I remember it's funny because I, I got a pie on the way there. I picked up a pizza and like the guys in like the New York Yankees cap and I'm in my Astros gear and he's like giving me a hard time. And I'm like, this is what I want. Like, this is like the back and forth. <laughs> and it's so funny because it's so, I think it's easy to forget too. Like it's so different offline because so much of my, like following the Astros and being part of the Astros fan base has been specifically online. Yeah. I forget that like people in real life are like not turds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's fun for them. And I don't think it's fun for a lot of people online. So uh, I just, I, but, but again, like that was just like that bar was, there were maybe like three Dodgers fans. Otherwise it was just all Astros fans. That's probably the closest I've ever gotten to watching an Astros home game. And that was electric. That was so much fun to watch. And just like, I was hoarse afterwards. So coming back home, I think, I, I think game six must've been the one that I saw in the airport and game seven specifically. I remember we were back at El Tejano. Um, there was a reporter from the New York times for the LA times uh, documenting us, like tweeting about us, like live tweeting out just <laughs> the group of Astros fans at this, at this sports bar in North Hollywood. And there were also Dodgers fans there. And now somewhere between games one and seven, they lost their chill because it <laughs> became very like it was very like it wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't just cutesy, like, oh, let's see who goes up in the series. It And especially let's remember they won those games. So it was like, you know, it was easier for them. But it was it was uh, now it was like it was difficult. And um, but also so much fun. And again, just I, I'm not used to watching the Astros with other Astros fans. It's such a unique experience for me. And it sounds like a weird thing to say, but it's just my life. And um, yeah, so that was really, really exciting. I remember though, the second that, that they clinched it, <laughs> some Dodgers fan, I was in a suit because I had come straight from work. Some Dodgers fan took like a bowl full of just like guacamole and threw it at us. And I'm like, that has been my relationship with Dodgers fans ever since that moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it ruined my suit. I mean, I got a dry clean, but it was no, it was not, I had to get rid of it, but uh, yeah, but like that, I think that that, that has been sort of the direction 
um, that that relationship has taken since then. So I've got a lot of good friends, obviously, who are Dodgers fans. Um, I like going to Dodgers games when they're not playing the Astros. But um, it's been it's been a little bit. I, I don't want to say it's. I don't want to go too out of in front of my skis because most people don't really care. Again, offline, most people just don't really care. Like they they think it's fun or they might bring it up or they might be like a little jab or two. Um, but like, it's more really just like online, like people, people just get really aggressive. And when they find out you're in LA, then I think that's, that adds another layer to it. But, um, for the most part, I mean, everyone's been relatively chill. I think this year would have been particularly difficult had I, had there been a public to go out into, um, you know what I mean? Because of COVID-19, like I've been in my, in my apartment and everyone else has been in their apartment we couldn't go to games and, you know, we weren't really out like watching baseball. So I think that that, that sort of tempered it. Um, but I mean, I get all the comments, I get the texts I get, but it's most, most of them are people who know me and they're just, you know, it's kind of, they're just kind of having a good time, but it's, I'm a little bit, um, I don't know if you know, Columbus Trey, who's on, uh, uh, at Columbus Trey. So he also lives out here. He's, he's from here. And he, he, he and I talk about this all the time, but like when I'm out, I wear my Astros gear and no one says a damn thing. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Like no one says anything. And then they might like, there might be like the snarky comment afterward. Um, but like, it's, I don't really care. Like I, that's, and that's part of it too. It's just like, I'm about as like non-adversarial as you can get like in real life. So I, I'm just going to rep my team. And I, a lot of that just comes from like, I, I, I've always, I've never been a fan of the home team. Like I've yeah. always repped them on the road. So like, I know how to be like, respectful but like cheer on my team but not and that's a big part of just how i fan in general it's like i really try to lift up rather than tear down so like i'd rather talk up the astros than talk down the dodgers because i don't give a shit about the dodgers like i really don't care you know like i like the dodgers but you know to me it's just like so so meaningless to like tear that said i i like to give the rangers a hard time even though i don't really care (laughs) okay so the day after the mike fires report dropped and and I, for some reason, I feel like it, it took a day or two because not everyone subscribes to the athletic and I understand because there's so yeah. many different things you can subscribe to, but once like, like ESPN and, and then whoever else wanted to had sort of digested the Rosenthal, uh, Drellich report, report, um, it, it just sort of, it, it, it felt like there was a little bit of a delay where I read it and I was like, Oh crap. Uh, and then everyone else caught up to it. But the, the day after it dropped on the athletic, I was at, I was at my HEB, uh, which is like a mile from my house. And I was, I was actually, I'm in the hoodie that, that you can, that I'm wearing yep. right now, uh, my 2017 orange world series champion. And this dude and like just fully decked out in Ra- like a Rangers hat and Rangers shirt saw me on the aisle. And he was like, bro, let me. And I just went, shh, shh. Not just not today. And, and I, and, and, and then he laughed and walked off and I, I, I will, I fully believe that the greatest moment of a Rangers fans life was finding out about what, what the 2017 Astro It's not anything from their own, you know, yeah. experience watching baseball. Uh, they're just that soulless and that joyless. Um, and I hope they never have the experience that we all got to have together on November 1st, 2017. Um, but I kind of find the same thing that, that the people that bring it up, you know, no one I don't know has, well, us, and again, like no one that's not online, like it happens on Twitter a lot, 
but no one has ever seen me wearing an Astros shirt and been like, you damaged the integrity. You personally right. damaged the integrity of the game. Right. Like, and, and it's hard because I spend admittedly way too much time on Twitter. Uh, something that I've been working on decreasing every day for the last six months. But yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's just that you know, people forget what it's like. I mean, it's the old saying that, you know, the longer people are online, the, the, the more time that passes since they remember what it's like to get punched in the face for, for saying something. And, yeah. and, and I was, I coached soccer uh, at my high school and, and there's, there was one, there's a team that, that were, you know, my, my high school's pretty big rivals with. Uh, and I, I coach freshmen and, you know, we, we beat this rival team and the other coach was like, was like told the referee, uh, he's like, I, I, he was standing way too close to that trash can, you know, make sure, you know, that the, there wasn't anything. And it was, I was like, ah, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. uh it, it just seems like, I don't know why Twitter just brings out, it brings out the most of whatever you are. Like it's, it's who you really, it's who you really are. Uh, and I've always appreciated like your feed. Uh, I've gone on multiple, you know, unfollow sprees and just trying to clean up my timeline. Like you've always, you've never, you've been a first choice, you know, hall of famer. Um, it's just so bizarre how, and, and I guess we're, we're sort of seeing the, the, how do I put it? The fruits of, of the labor of, of being too online where yeah. there's just no, there, there's not for a lot of people, there's just not a filter. Uh, and <clears throat> like episode two of the, of this podcast was with Steph Stradley, uh, who, who mainly blogs about the Texans, but it, it was sort of like a, you know, you're, you are, you know, Twitter is the ultimate, you know, if, if your name, if your full name is not on your Twitter account, like it's, it, it's who you really are. Like it's, it's, yeah. and it's, it's not, it's not as fun as it was. Uh, but that also doesn't really have anything to do with Mike Byers snitching like a rat uh, to, to the athletic. I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I don't know, maybe I'm getting older, like uh, the, that it's just not, it's just not as fun. I want to get my jokes off you know, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll check and see if I post something, you know, who responded, how did it go? I'm just not that interested. Yeah. I go back and forth. Um, I do like checking in. I, I, you know, I, I am spending, I am still spending time on it. Um, But for me, yeah, I I think it's, it's interesting because I mean, I've really struggled with the cheating scandal. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you remember like or if you saw it, but very early on, I had this sort of like long rambling like thread where I'm just like, here's the thing, like I'm probably more upset about this than any Dodgers fan, than any Yankees yes. fan, than any like I'm probably like actually more upset about this because here's the thing, we did have November first, two thousand seventeen, that did happen, and then so for two years later, for someone to come back and be like, no, that didn't count, and one of the things I think that I addressed in that thread that I really do feel like is um, they've been really trying to minimize what the Astros were doing since the Astros were doing it. Yeah, no, um, for sure. And, and I think that that ended up biting them in the ass. And now they're, they don't understand why Astros fans aren't all 
wringing their hands and, you know, and begging for forgiveness. But the fact of the matter is like, you guys have been dogging this since 2012, you were diminishing mm -hmm. the tanking, you were diminishing, you know, this, you were diminishing that. And so by the time we got to the point where it actually probably should have been diminished, you blew your wad. Like we yeah. didn't give a shit. And so I think, I think, but on the other hand, like I want a real one, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like I want a real one. Um, do you think do you think that if if the Astros had somehow uh you know come back from 3-0 down to Tampa, gone to the World Series, beaten the Dodgers in 2020, do you think that that the COVID asterisk that's not being applied to the Dodgers uh is would have been applied to the Astros? No, and here's why. I think here, here well, okay. I, I guess it depends on if you mean like officially or unofficially. This is sort of the thing that bothers me about, again, everyone online just thinks that their opinion matters so goddamn much. Um, <laughs> but like an asterisk is not like a matter of opinion. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not arbitrary. Like there either is an asterisk like Roger Maris has an asterisk. That's real. That's a very real thing that exists next to his statistic. Yeah. And and the asterisk don't. So like this idea of like, it would have, it would apply to this, but not to this. I, I just don't get into that. Cause I feel like it's, yeah, some people are going to be salty if the Astros had won. I I'll be honest with you for me, 2020 was all like, I don't think that I would have counted it like sort of emotionally. Um, just for me, 2020 was really like money in the bank. Like I did not expect a season by the time we actually got to the playoffs. I was blown away by the time we beat, I mean, when we beat the, the A's that was the world series for me, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I found the Rays series was just like found money. Um, I really thought that the, the world series had we gone to, it would have been found money. I mean, I would have been very happy had the, had the Astros won. don't get me wrong. But for me, I, I just, it's so hard for me to like really be super celebratory about anything right now. Just you know, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. So I think, you know, and that's, I think that's difficult. So it's, it's this idea of, I, you know, again, I do, it would have been, it would have like washed the palette for sure, which I think there's a lot of value to, but uh, I don't know if it would have accomplished. I don't, I mean, who, who's to say, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think it would have gotten the, the asterisk treatment except by people who were going to give it that anyway, you know, yeah, no, I mean, we get the asterisk treatment on the, on, on the playoff run. We did have, it doesn't, you know, whatever. That's a good point. Um, yeah. So as someone who, and, and we're closer, we'll, I've, I've got at least two more, at least two more, no more than three questions to get you out of I've here. I've got all the time in the world for you. All right, cool. Um, as someone who has focused on the, on the minor leagues uh, and, the, and the Astros minor leagues coming up through the years, who was the one prospect that, that you came across that didn't make it that just still to this day completely floors you because i've got well, one in mind i think that there are two answers to that question for me um one is sort of the guy that i'm shocked didn't sort of become like a star and then one is a guy that i'm really i'll be honest with you i really thought joe sclafani was going to be a big leaguer did i think that he was going to oh. be like an all-star did i think that he was going to like knock the cover off the ball never but man, he had all of the makings of just a nice utility bench piece. The guy had hustle for days. He was a switch hitter. He could run. He could field. He could field. He could play shortstop. He was a shortstop at Dartmouth. Um, he was a high motor guy, which I really like. He was a really smart guy. I mean, he was a catcher at Dartmouth. 
but like or a, a shortstop at Dartmouth. So I, it, for me, um, he was a guy that I was just really, really surprised that just like, he made it. I, don't, I think maybe he even made it onto the 40 man. I can't remember, but he definitely got a non-roster invite and then was just gone. And I was really surprised by that. I thought for sure, this is a guy who can land in an organization somewhere and like make an impact somewhere. And I just, uh, I, I was really, I was really surprised by that. The guy that I was surprised never really became a full blown like star um, is Telvin Nash. Telvin Ooh, that's Nash, a good one. Yeah, he had. I mean, he's had. You might even say an eighty grade power tool. And when I would watch him, yes, the hit tool was never quite where you need it to be. But I always thought he was better than they than the Astros gave him credit for. And I think what happened to Telvin was he sort of reached the end of his time in Houston and the regime change kind of got him like they were looking for contact guys in the minors, high contact guys in the minors. Um, I think under, you know, the previous regime, he might've been promoted a little more aggressively. I mean, he struggled. Don't get me wrong. You know, he, I think he was in Lancaster like three times. He got into some weird issues where someone stepped on his foot at first base and he was never quite able to like, recover that season and I think that that was the season where they just kind of gave up on him the other thing about Telvin though that I will say too is like and part of it is like this is kind of just how I watch sports I really liked the guy he was so nice to me like he would give me like anything I wanted when I was like reporting on it uh when I was at in, in Lancaster or or Corpus like he would just like he would just give me the shirt off his back and I really appreciated that um so that always makes me root for a guy too but I, I was really shocked that he did not um, I, I think he put it together more than they gave him credit for and yeah. that they sort of bailed on him even despite that. Who's yours? So I was, I was for sure. I was 100% behind the idea that the 2009 Lexington legends rotation sure. was all going to come up together and it would be, uh, Dalowitz. It would Dalowitz, Ross Seaton, Kyle Greenwalt, yeah. and yeah. the guy that, and of course, the one that made the major leagues, I can't remember who it is. Jordan Lyles. Jordan Lyles. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I was sure that that was just the next wave, sure. just looking at, you know, and at that time, you know, if you wanted to find any joy at all in, in thinking about the Astros, you were looking at the minor leagues. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, just, uh, I, I was, I was, and, and for some reason, Ross Seaton in particular, I couldn't, I, 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 I still can't quite figure out uh, how, how he wasn't able to put it. And of course, now I know, you know, that was early on in, in sort of, you know, blogging and, and being able to parse, like, what does this really mean yeah. uh, when someone dominates at, you know, Lexington? Um, but the other one, I, I guess, what surprises you more that, that they never panned out or who surprised you more that they never panned out? Is it Brett Wallace or is it Mark Appel? Well, all right. So I have a Mark Appel story. I want to hear it. Yeah. So I want to say this was, when was he taken? 13? So it was 14, 2014. He and Correa were both in Lancaster. I went up for media day. Actually, my profile picture on uh, Instagram, or on Twitter rather, is the two of them standing back to back, Mark Appel and Carlos Correa. No one reads it because they don't look like each other, but or they don't look like <laughs> But um, yeah, so I... Uh, I went up and I, I was a big Mark Appel fan. I was a big Mark Appel fan in, in 12, 2012. 
and I was an even bigger Mark Appel fan in 2013. I watched him pitched against pitch against USC and he didn't have a great outing, but he really battled. And I was just like, this is, that's what I like to see in a prospect just in general is like when the chips are against them, it's sort of like me with music where it became hard and I had to like dig down and find a way to get over that hump. That's what I like to see in a prospect. I don't think I, I don't think I know what you are as a baseball player until you get punched in the mouth and fail a little bit. So I was really excited to see him like battle through some, some tough starts. And in retrospect, that probably should have been a red flag that he even had those tough starts uh, <laughs> at that level um, against, you know, Garrett Stubbs and the, the USC Trojans, which was not a good team at that time. And so I, um, but so at that Lancaster media day, I did an interview with him and I'm sitting there and I was always like, I always try to be really super mindful uh, anytime I interview players, I try to be super mindful. Um, I don't want to edit them. I don't want to like cut what they're saying to pieces. I really want to like present what they're saying as truthfully as they can. I'm not trying to form a narrative. I'm really just trying to put their words to paper and sort of lead the conversation and listen to them and, and see where they're going. I remember after that interview, I reached out to David Coleman because I was writing for the Crawfish Boxes at the time. And I said something along the lines of like, we got to talk to, we have to talk to the Astros. Like, I can't run this. Like we have to, we have to get approval. Cause the, he just, he was so in his head, even on media day at high a Lancaster in the California league as a, you know, in his first full season ball, he just talked and talked and talked and like, like was just would say anything. And I was like, we actually ended up reaching out to Mike fast at the time, who's now with the Braves, but at the time yeah. he was in the, the Astros front office and I kind of just got his guidance on like, what can I print and what should I like leave out? Like, right. I, but to me, that sort of like sort of became this moment where I was just like, oh, like, I think this guy's like in his head. And this was after he'd had, I don't know if you remember, he had hernia surgery and he yeah. had underperformed in, um, in Tri-City in the New York Penn League. And so it was, there were already some question marks and I was like really vocally in favor of him in favor of drafting him over, I think John Gray was, was sort of, everyone was big on Chris Bryant was big, was on that list. And so I kind of felt, and this is something, a big lesson I learned, I kind of had pride mixed up in it, which I, in retrospect, I is a dumb thing to do. Um, but I was just like, I gotta like pump up Mark Appel. I gotta, I gotta like, like, like talk him up. And so I, I was really surprised that he didn't make it, but I feel like I caught on pretty early that he was probably not going to. It doesn't surprise me that he's like three years out of baseball and we don't hear his name anymore. Like he's yeah. not, like he's not coaching anywhere. He's not, he's not doing, he's not, I don't think he's running any cl any clinics or, or camps or anything. I, I just think he's, he's done. Like he's yeah. out. like, I, I think he got, he got his bag and, and I just don't think that he had the love for it. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe Mark Appel's story is, is similar to what we talked about, you know, half an hour ago about, you know, when, when he doesn't like doing things he's not good at. Yeah. Uh, and when, when the struggle came, like it just, he was too much in his head. And that's, that's a really interesting thing to think of. And I, you know, it, it can't feel good, you know, to be the first number one overall draft pick since you know, what Brian Taylor uh, to yeah. not make it to the major leagues. And, and maybe that, maybe that just wears on you more than, you know, when, when you're sort of not that he expected to bet, but I remember the night he was drafted and Harold Reynolds was like, he could be in the Astros rotation by, yeah. you know, what the end of July, um, you know, when, 
when things didn't go immediately perfectly, did that sort of derail him? And it was just a slippery slope from there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that first taste of failure, I don't know if he knew how to get over that. I don't know if he knew how to fight back from that. I don't know if he like had that surgery and he had a little trouble coming back from it. And then at that point, he just was heart wasn't in it. I mean, I will say the other thing you could tell from talking to him was that he, and listen, I'm not a particularly religious man, but he was very, he, he was, faith was very important to him. Like it, it came up like all the time. And so maybe he had just found that the ministry would spoke to him more. Maybe it was something like that. And he just found like a higher love or a higher calling or something. And I don't want to take that away from him. You know, I, I don't know his, his story, but maybe it was something like that where he just like, was like, Oh, I guess baseball isn't as important. I, I don't know. That's just speculation. But so one, one quick, very quick tweet story, Twitter story. Uh, I remember, I don't know why I remember this. I don't know why I remember the things that I do and I can't remember to get milk, you know, sure. from the store. Um, but I, re- for some reason, I remember that, that Mark Appel actually baptized Chris Davinsky. Oh, and, and he tweeted and like Appel tweeted about it or, or Davinsky tweeted about it. And then, and that was in the, in the time where I used to follow Astros players on Twitter I don't do that anymore. I've never done that, but yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but I, re- I remember either seeing it from Appel's account and being like, "Hey, congrats on your first save of the season," uh, and and he he liked it, and I thought that was that was very funny. But uh, yeah. that's that's the, the extent of the of the Twitter story on that. But but no, you're yeah, you're right. Like the the there was a a very faith based background to him. Yeah. that that there i mean there i i, I would 100 percent read his autobiography uh should he ever come out with it just to kind of figure out what how did you go from this dude that 10 minutes after you get drafted you're projected to be in the rotation six weeks later to to never actually get in there yeah in two different organizations because he got traded to the phillies and it didn't yeah. really <clears throat> didn't really improve things there either um i mean it's sad and this is a guy who went in the top three twice twice yeah um, yeah you know and 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 so i think that to me you know I, I one of the fun things about sort of prospecting about following minor leaguers and and and, and draftees is is really like it's a constant learning process um you know you you sort of start to put together uh uh what what sort of line people are going to take and what you should ignore and what you should pay attention to. But it's all at the end of the day, it's all speculation. It's all handicapping races, you know, horse races. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very humbling uh, activity, even more so than I think following major league baseball, we have a pretty good idea what people are already. You know, it's, it's interesting because I remember there, there are certain, and, and maybe you can, you've had the same experience where, where they draft somebody and you think, okay, this is it's going to be a few years but this this could potentially be a very big deal uh i thought that about um i'm good um hang on a second my wife's going to bed i love you no i'm good thank you all right sorry um the uh i remember when when the astros drafted dallas keichel uh, and then when they drafted JD Martinez, <clears throat> and and I remember thinking, uh, looking at you know what they done in in college and and being like, this could be a big deal. But I never had the balls to like tweet it out. Is there and and, and go on record and being like, uh, I really like this pick. 
do you have any like those where you're like, Ooh, this is somebody then. And you were like, eh, I'm not going to stick my neck out for a 35th round pick from Nova or 23rd round pick from Nova Southeast. Like, do you have yeah. any like that? Um, well, I've got a couple like that. Some who have sort of made it and some who haven't. Um, I think I was actually, I think maybe the first person to ever write like an article about Dallas Keuchel. Um, like his first year in full season ball, I wrote a pretty big article on my, my first blog about him. Um, I was in on him pretty early. I'd seen him pitch at Arkansas. Like I was a big fan. Uh, and I, I mean, just in general, I like, I like sec Friday night starters. Like, I think that that's already like a good starting point. And it's, yeah. um, you know, when you sort of show you prove yourself against the best college hitters in the world, which the sec provides, you know, and you're a, a big bodied lefty and you're smart and, you know, all these reports are, are, are glowing on you. I was pretty big on him. I was a little less big on JD Martinez. Um, one guy though, that I've always been sort of bigger on consensus or bigger than consensus on was Brasso for the Rays um, oh, okay. who hit the, the home run off of Chapman in the, yeah. uh, in the LDS. I, watched him at um in in college he was he was in the horizon league and i was just like enamored of this guy like i i just like would watch him breathlessly and i remember like i have a group of of uh, minor league writers that i i'm I'm on a a, a skype channel or a slack channel with and like i sent out to everybody i was just like has anyone watched this kid play like this kid is really good Am, am i crazy and we do this all the time and nine times out of ten everyone's like yes you're crazy which happened to this time and so it was kind of fun to see him like sort of catapult into the national spotlight. Not that he's like a great player or anything, but um, he's a fun guy. One other guy that I really like who has made the majors, but is not necessarily an impact player was Jason Martin, who the uh, Astros took in the eighth round in 2013. I think it was um, part of the Garrett Cole deal. That's right. Yeah. So he went to, to Houston or went to Pittsburgh in that deal uh, along with Musgrove and, and and that card. Oh, Mangden is another one that I really liked when we drafted him. I liked him, yeah. Uh, out of A&M. But, um, we, but yeah, so Jason Martin, I had watched in high school. Uh, again, I think I had the first video, scouting video of him in history. <laughs> like, That's cool. Um, yeah, and it was just random. It was just, I was just at an Orange Lutheran game. And he, he, his mom and I are still like very much in touch because I like promoted the hell out of this kid. That's like, awesome. Like, <laughs> Um, yeah, a lot of the like moms from that was the other fun thing about the crawfish boxes is like a lot of players, like parents followed us. Sometimes that was good. Sometimes it was not so good. Like Mike Fultonevich's dad was not necessarily such a cool guy. Um, <laughs> but like, I remember Asher Wojciechowski's mom, Carol, like she was super yeah. cool. Um, like there were just some like really great follows. Um, Aaron West's parents were all real cool. His whole family was really cool. So I, I, uh, I miss that part. I, I don't, I've never really followed the players, the major league players, but a lot of the guys that I sort of covered in the minors or have covered coming up, like they'll, they follow me and I always want to follow them back when they follow me. So that was a but big yeah. part of like the early Astros County strategy uh, to build a base was to, was to, you know, focus on some minor league guys and, yep. and see if they latched on and, if their family does, then, well, they're going to, you know, check the blog. Not that I've monetized Astros County in any yeah, way, but, form, yeah. but just to sort of build it. That's funny. I, and I totally like, Ash, yeah, Asher Wojciechowski's mom is freaking cool. Like, so yeah. is Evan Gaddis's mom. Evan Gaddis's mom. Yes, is, I love Mama Gaddis. Yeah. Cooler than Evan Gaddis is, which is hard to, hard to pull off. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so two more, and then mm-hmm. and then honestly, like I'm an hour past my bedtime because I'm. Oh wow. Um, well, thanks the, for standing uh, up for me. So, what is as, as someone who who has been following the minor leagues? What is a trap that most people fall into that makes them fall in love with a prospect or a minor leaguer that they should 100% avoid? Like, teach me not to get jacked over like a 31st round pick uh, and and what they look like in college or high school. Sure. So I think the two big things for me that I pay a lot of attention to is age relative to league. So if a guy is blowing it past 18 year olds and he's a 22 year old 50 year senior, he he shouldn't be blowing it past, (laughs) you know, like, like that, that should be happening. And so I think one thing, especially in the pro ranks that you can watch is how aggressive is the team with that player. So if you see a 19 year old who just got drafted out of high school and they're putting him and they're promoting him to high A ball to full season ball, that's significant. Like they, they really, they want to challenge that guy. They want to see how he does. So he might struggle, but that's not necessarily a negative thing. They want him to struggle. So that's, I think one thing to watch, but meanwhile, if they, draft a guy and he's you know 22 and they put him in uh in the midwest or yeah if they put him in the midwest league and he's like blowing it past you know high school kids it doesn't really say as much um that's you know one thing to watch the other thing that i especially with hitters really like to watch is um just contact rates so there was a period where the astros miners were really well known for their walk rates we used to talk about Nolan Fontana in particular, like oh, the yeah. base percentages, these guys who would just draw a lot of walks. I had a really enlightening conversation with Tyler Heineman, who at the time was in the Astros system. They drafted him out of UCLA. He Eighth round pick. Season, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he spent his last season in, um, in San Francisco, uh, plugging in for Buster Posey when he was out. And he's now in, he just signed with, with the St. Louis Cardinals. But he had some really interesting things to say that I had never really thought of about basically like high walk rates are great. High strikeout rates are not great, but combined, if you put those two things together and they're both really high, you're actually looking at a passive hitter, which is actually a negative. So you can have like these really high walk rates. You can have these like acceptable strike rate, strikeout rates, but the, the sort of higher that gets as a catcher, when he's doing a scout, he would say like when he was scouting a team and he was like looking at hitters tendencies and you don't have the data in the minors that you have in the majors. And so he didn't have, you know, like he didn't have everyone's trackman data. He didn't have like full on scouting reports. So he would just literally look at like, what are their walk rates? What are their strikeout rates? Are they going to chase? Are they going to be passive hitters? If we throw in the zone and that was the thing we learned with Nolan Fontana is like when you actually throw it in the zone, there's not much he can do with it. So you might as well just throw it in the zone and big league pitchers are a lot better than, than minor league pitchers just by, I mean, just by their nature. So that's one thing I I think that we don't necessarily look at is like really looking at how passive they are as hitters. And then the other thing I personally look at a lot is for hitters again, is BABIP uh, batting average on balls in play. I did a big article a few years ago um, that got picked up by some actually, well, I got picked up by some major league teams actually paid me to further that article. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. But basically it was like, we look at on the major league level, we like to look at batting average on balls in play. And if it's inflated, we think they're going to regress to the mean. It makes a lot of sense, but in the minors, it doesn't actually mean that because you expect a better hitter to 
get more balls in play, to hit more line drives off of inferior pitching, which is going to lead to more to more uh, hits. So an inflated BABIP is actually a good thing in the minors. It, it means that they're showing good contact. And so that's uh, something that I, that I sort of watch for also is just sort of like, are they writing right around like that? Like 330 and higher is, is usually a pretty good sign for me. Okay, so this is teeing it up for you. Yeah. Uh, based on, because I, I, I mean, I've never really thought of that. Like I, I would look at, you know, minor league, you know, hitters and like, oh, a 350 Babbitt. Oh, okay. Super lucky. Yeah. Uh, next, right. let's see what they do next year. Um, you have started or are about to launch a new blog. Is that correct? Yeah, we just launched it last week. Okay. Yeah. I've tried to be off Twitter. So I, I, yeah, I, I so, so okay. talk about that and then I'll, and then, and then we'll head our separate ways. You can go backpacking. Yeah. So uh, Spencer Morris, who used to write with me at Crawfish Boxes, he still does Great write guy. a little bit there. Um, and he also writes for Fish Stripes, the Marlins uh, SB Nation blog. Um, for years, that minor league crew, like I said, at TCB with, with Brooks Parker and, and Spencer and me and, and Brian Ashitaka. Yeah. Um, I, I just I really liked that crew and I really liked writing with the team. And I've kind of wanted to do that ever since. As I mentioned, I got really busy sort of in November, like 2013, when I took over to the, when I sort of became a full-time agent. And so I didn't really have the time to go to the games. I like to go to college games. I like to go to high school games. Um, when I was on the road, when I was a music director, when I was touring all the time, that was sort of my one constant as I would find the local minor league stadium and I would go watch games. And so I've always, again, I've, I didn't have a home team I wouldn't go to Astros home games. So for me, like I really found the minors in college and even high school to some extent, like that's where I really connected. And so even now that's what I prefer to write about is just the, I, I really don't, like I actually don't even consider myself Astros Twitter so much. Like I really consider myself like minor league Twitter. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, so we, we've been talking for the last year or so and we had meant to launch it at the beginning of the year, but COVID-19 hit and sort of delayed things. But I knew if I had like a good, partner that I could put in enough time and he could put in enough time. And we weren't just, we weren't going to like stress out about it. We weren't going to be like, okay, we have to post three times a week. We, like, we're just going to like be super chill about it. Sort of like your, I think your approach with, with AC, where it's just like, I'll post when I have something to post. Like I want, like, I like this. It's interesting to me. So I'll keep writing about it. But um, Spencer, I, you know, I think is, is borderline genius. I mean, the guy who really knows his stuff. He does. And so like, for sure. Yeah. And so like, I really like writing with him specifically because we can bounce off of each other and he's going to give me a perspective that I don't necessarily have. And I think vice versa, um, we have completely different tastes and prospects. Like he likes really high ceiling toolsy, like raw players. I really like like the college guys who, uh, you know, are, you already know what you're going to get. They're already, I like big league contributors. Um, I like guys who are going to, I love finding like, the utility infielder of the future. I love finding the fourth <laughs> outfielder. But I don't know why, but I really like, I get a kick out of that. I get a kick out of those 18th rounders that I'm like, okay, that's going to be the guy. He's going to be a big leaguer. Um, but so it's been, it's fun to like bounce off each other. And I, I always knew like, if I was going to do my own thing, I had to have a teammate. And I had gone out early in the year and sort of tried to look for like some other members of the team. And you may see some people pop in every now and then. Um, to sort of contribute to that, but the the primary team is just is Spencer and me, 
And like I said, we're about a week or two in. Uh, we had a nice launch. We're basically focused specifically on the draft, although we are also, uh, we spend time on whatever we want to talk about, really. So, you know, I just did a Rule 5 um, article that published today. We talk about, you know, he did a big thing on the, the pitching development in Pittsburgh. So, like, we'll look at minor league, major league, uh, as we see fit. Primarily, it, it is draft-related, but not solely. And my plan with that is... Um, because we've been doing so much video content because I've making taking so many meetings on zoom because I'm kind of getting good at this format that I might as well make some, some con some video content for this also, which really no one else is really doing outside of yeah. like hitter videos or pitcher videos. So that's something that's sort of in the pipeline that we'll be doing. I don't know if it'll be a full on podcast or exactly what it will be, but that's something we're going to be rolling out in the, in the next couple of months too. So it's, it's, we sort of have big dreams, but like big dreams that are like, within our means manageable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And just sort of like, again, I, I don't want to come out and be like, okay, we've got the biggest blog on it, but it's just like, I'm just writing. And I think that like, I really like writing about the miners. I really like writing about the draft. And I think some people like reading about it. And so like, they'll find it or they won't. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to have a good time. What's it called? Diamond dreams. Um, we are too cheap right now because we are so little invested. We did not pay for the, uh, the domain name so it's just <laughs> baseball.wordpress.com until we decide that might throw a little bit of money into it that's awesome anthony yeah. thank you so much this was thank you this was a ton of fun i really appreciate it um so enjoy your backpacking trip and uh yeah so at ephus tosser e-e-p-h-u-s-t-o-s-s-e-r uh, just the, the best freaking Dayton, Ohio Astros fan you've ever, you'll, you'll ever meet in your entire life. I think I can claim that. I don't think, I don't think I have much competition. I, I'm taking that one. <laughs>